Chris in Tennessee, you're on the air. Go ahead. Welcome to the Revere Radio Network, the worldwide home of free speech. My name is Chris. This show is called Nowhere to Run. And uh, you can go to our new website, which is conspiracyclothes.com slash nowhere to run. And there you can get all the archives for free. And you can find out all kinds of good information and whatnot and links and stuff. You can uh, check out the new... um, I just put up a new uh, thing for if you're trying to prove that zeitgeist is a, a sham <laughs> i just wrote a thing called take the zeitgeist challenge where i'm offering a hundred dollars to anybody that can validate what zeitgeist says and uh, you can do that at the apologetic section of the website conspiracyclosed.com slash nowhere to run um i've got a really interesting show a show i've done a lot of research for uh over the course of the weekend i was out of town and all that stuff and had all kinds of time just to really research this topic and it's the the uh, dead sea scrolls and all the uh, weirdness that went around with that um i just want to suggest though before we get going that um you know i wouldn't even research this much if i didn't you know if it wasn't for this show i mean I, i always i guess research stuff but i wasn't ever that thorough with it And I want to suggest to everybody, anybody that may be on the fence of like doing a show like this, uh, to do it and how easy it is um, to go ahead and just get started doing a podcast. You can go to podomatic.com. It's free. All you got to do is just sign up and and fill out the, you know, fill in the blanks basically and, and, and you'll be on iTunes. And so that, and that's basically where, you know, a lot of this audience and stuff comes from. So that's, that's one way to do it. And, you know, it's something that uh, everybody can do. I mean, there's somebody out there that I know is like, man, I could do that. But I'm just telling you how easy it is and, and how much uh, the the act of, like, doing it really will will really progress your, your thinking and, and information, too. I mean, like I've said time and time again, you can go to the archives and just see uh, the ba- knowledge base that I had when I started and to now has just been so... Uh, amazing and it's really easy to do interviews if that's what you want to do I mean you can go to download Skype uh, which is a like internet telephone and it just makes it as easy as possible to do interviews and uh, so I'm just saying it's really really easy to do to start a podcast somewhere and also if you also want to I think uh, Frank Lordy of SalvationRevelation.com is starting a uh, kind of uh, conspiracy uh, slash Christian related radio station and, and he could use um, more content there so you can go to salvationrevelation.com and, and contact him and you know maybe he'll uh, he'll uh, give you a chance if, if you got something going or whatever I don't know um, but I'm just suggesting that 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 is for somebody out there really what we should do because man we really if you if you know and are, are starting to catch on to the kind of things that we're talking about here 
you you should know how important and unique it is because uh, there is definitely a need a need for uh, this particular kind of information because uh, I think it's just it's it's really uh, focusing like a laser beam on, on the real problem of this and there's just far too few people doing it and uh, but it's growing and there's definitely reason to uh, to get excited about that. Okay, let's get into this uh, very interesting scenario. What happened with the Dead Sea Scrolls? I know um, some of you, like me, before I really looked into this, was only knew bits and pieces of this story, and it is such an important one. And uh, and so let's let's try to figure this out. Uh, what got me interested in this was actually listening to Bill Cooper, and he was suggesting some books, and he suggested one about the Dead Sea Scrolls, and he hadn't read the book yet, but he made a quip that he didn't know who to trust about the Dead Sea Scrolls because everybody that had a chance to look at them so far was on the pay of the Rockefellers. And I thought, well, that's that's a pretty bold statement. Let's check and see if that is right. And it was, and it's really, really, well, I mean, more or less, but it's really interesting to look at this uh, story because it's a conspiracy propagated within a conspiracy. There is, a, I, I contend, a lot of evidence to suggest whatever we know about the, the, the scrolls are for the most part dictated to us by the... Uh, the Rockefellers, and not just any Rockefeller. This is this is really interesting stuff. Let's let's get to where this started for me in my research. Was uh, and I recommend I'll put all this stuff in the show notes section of the uh, of the website conspiracyclosed.com slash nowhere to run. It's also on the Potomatic site. But um, first of all, there was this timeline, and I like this timeline. This is from the Gnostic Society Library, uh, and it's a Dead Sea Scrolls timetable and. I like it because, obviously, the Gnostic Society is not trying to prove what I'm trying to prove, but this is a real factual account of just the events that happen within each year. It doesn't look very slanted, biased, and I'm not saying that everything that they are saying is fact in here, uh, but it is a good springboard. There's a lot of names and dates and places that you can go look at and see if it's true or what you can find about these names, dates, and places. So I started here, and I encourage you, if you want to do your own study, to start there also. Because if you look at this uh, as just somebody who knows a, a decent amount of what uh, is going on in the world and the real power structures, this a lot of things jump out at you here. But um, let me first give a rundown of the basic happenings. I'll try to do this quickly so I can give the uh, the other parts of it. But try to just give an idea of what happened with the scrolls. Uh, as fast as I can. Basically, it starts, as it always does, with this shepherd boy that throws a rock into a, a Judean cave at Qumran and, and hears a breaking of a pottery and finds some scrolls. The kid eventually takes him to some antique dealers. Some people buy some copies of different scrolls at that time. Eventually, uh, a huge campaign is launched uh, about the next year when it's found the importance of this by G.L. Harding. And... Uh, a huge campaign. I believe that 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 campaign and the funding of it very uh, at that point gave control to whatever else was found, and and there were a lot more found uh, in the and I think it ended up being eleven different caves in the region. So over the course of this time, and on one year later, a uh, um, a guy produced uh, I, the publications are, are very very telling, but uh, Dupont published a. Uh, something after uh, the next year but but anyway let's get into this so 
Um, what then happens after uh, the scrolls are discovered one by one? They are uh, the the importance of trying to figure out what is uh, what they say was decided, and so um, what was set up was there were I think it ended up being like five or six guys chosen an international team were given exclusive rights to the scrolls and they kept these rights for some close to fifty years. Nobody but these five dudes, six dudes, uh, it's not entirely true, but basically they were given exclusive rights to publish whatever they were. They were divided up by their different, um, their different, uh, you know, uh, given certain sections of the scrolls. There was also another set of scrolls, the more complete scrolls, like the book of Isaiah scroll, which validated that, uh, that, uh, you know, the translation for, was a thousand years intact because before that, the, uh, the oldest uh, version of the Old Testament of Isaiah was like uh, 1200 A.D. or something like that. And this validated that not only uh, was uh, the uh, Isaiah like at least, you know, 1200 years or actually ended up being like 1400 years uh, older, but that the translation was absolutely the same. So that was a big validation point for uh, that kind of thing. But anyway, so these five guys are commissioned to do this. They're an international team from the US, the UK, France, Germany, and Poland. And it's very interesting to see why these guys were chosen because most of them, especially the guys from the UK, had little to no experience in this. I mean, this was probably, you know, one of the most important archaeological finds in our era. And uh, the people entrusted with their translation were schoolboys. I mean, nothing less than schoolboys chosen for no apparent reason. It certainly wasn't their knowledge of their mastery of the language because most of their biographies even meant, like, I learned rather quickly how to read the scrolls, but I didn't know beforehand. But anyway, so as we continue down this this path, over the next few years, you can see some really interesting transactions being made trying to acquire as many scrolls as possible that weren't a part of this uh, structure at the Rockefeller Museum and what they called the scrollery, where uh, this uh, interpretation of these fragments were being done. Um, And there are very interesting publications being done and radio interviews that I will contend here in just a little bit during this time that, um, that just will really tell a story. Now, keep in mind, this is huge, that this went on like this, that nobody, the public, never got to um, see them for like 50 years after this. It wasn't until like, I'll get into that after that, but during this time when nobody could double check anything that anybody said, a lot of theories were put forth that nobody could check by people that are very interesting once we get to looking at them, and so... It's. I'll go into this, but it was very much like you know the and, and every time something was said, it was immediately re- retracted, even by the people that were supposed to, um, you know, be a part of the conspiracy. Uh, it's just really interesting because it reminds me of like the Bin Laden videotapes that are put out. You know, they put it out, and it's just a huge media push. Like, oh my gosh, Bin Laden in the news and saying you know all this new stuff, and then in the back of the paper the next day, it's like. We're sorry, that was a bunch of crap. We don't know why we did that. That was stupid, and it was obviously a five-year-old videotape. What were we thinking? Oh, well. Or it's kind of like the Da Vinci Code, you know? It's obviously 
very provable. There's a whole niche market of people putting out, uh, you know, Da Vinci Code debunked and Da Vinci Code uncoded and all the rest of it. But it doesn't matter because it was so pushed, uh, you know, financially and in the media and the front page of the paper and then 60 Minutes or whatever that, um, that you know, it, no nobody questions. It was it's it's the same old trick. But I'll go on here. So this continues until about the time uh, the, the little there <laughs> there was some there eventually became some some work of some sleuths and some goings on that made it impossible for them to have complete control over the scrolls. One of those things being a um, a concordance that was made in the fifties. Okay, here they wouldn't say that this, these things could be published for fifty years, but a concordance was made like in fifty three, and there was rumors that it existed, and that and they kept it under very very secret because this concordance basically you could produce the entire, you could publish everything uh, just by, and that's what eventually was done by some very astute uh, people uh, that this co concordance basically. Enabled them to publish the scrolls word for word just by using a concordance that they had in '53. But also, there was a microfilm of the negatives of pictures taken of these scrolls that eventually, on the death of the woman that had them, put them in the trust of a uh, university who eventually uh, published the pictures, which finally, during this whole kind of little window here in the like the late '90s. Finally, the public had a chance to validate all the stuff that they'd been told was there without any editor's notes or, or suggestions. It was finally, only 10 years ago, that we were able to see for ourselves what the scrolls looked like, what word for word is there. And so we don't have to listen to a bunch of five people with obvious agendas uh, on the pay of the Rockefellers anymore. We can tell for ourselves what they say. And everything else broke down that they said. Um, this is really, really interesting and to look at the particulars, which we're going to do here in about uh, just a second. Um, but it didn't all, there's some really, really interesting stuff here. Uh, let's see, how should we sum up the summary here? Um, I guess just at this point, it's a matter of, of who do you trust? So let's go and look at the particulars of this thing. And this is where it gets really, really interesting. At this point, it would prob probably be prudent to point out that there is, uh, among the conspiracy world, a large conspiracy uh, that is put forth that goes a little something like this. Um, all those five guys were Catholics, or everybody except for John Allegro, who was an adamant atheist and orator about being an atheist before that. So everybody, well, almost everybody besides Johnny Allegro were uh, Catholics. And there were conspiracy theories put out from the very beginning before anybody had a chance to look at it that the scrolls were uh, going to undermine Christianity. And so all those guys being Catholic and the absolute total secrecy and delay of publication led everybody to be, that was the main um, proof, if you will, that there was a Catholic conspiracy to cover up the scrolls because they were uh, undermining to Christianity. And since nobody could double-check those facts for some odd 50 years, it became the, 
the prevailing thought. And most of uh, people will argue with you uh, till the death, I mean, right now, that there was indeed a conspiracy. And uh, I think that there was a conspiracy here, but it needs to be looked at with a little bit, uh, uh, you know, some discernment with actual, you know, facts in front of your face and, and actual translations and words and things that, that have substance as opposed to uh, clever oration. Um, so let's look at this. First of all, the first interesting thing that I find is that, you know, there was a the, the huge... Um, Okay, first, well, let's let's say, first of all, in defense of the conspiracy theory, rather, uh, goes a little something like this. The, uh, the head of the team originally was part of a, I think he was the head of like a certain school uh, that was set up to teach uh, different Catholic people how to protect uh, antiquities uh, when you found them, like to keep from damaging them and stuff. But this organization that he was head of goes all the way back to, like, the Inquisition. And, in fact, the person uh, in 1987 that was head of the Pontifical Biblical Commission is Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. Okay, so that's our current pope. So, anyway, um, let's see. He was also executive head of the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith, which prior to 1965 has been known as the Holy Office and prior to 50... 1542 is the Holy Inquisition. So that is the uh, big, big springboard here uh, concerning the conspiracy theories. And I am agreeing, but you have to work in Rockefeller in this too, which we will do just a little later. Okay, now moving into the fact that um, that all the guys who had access to the scrolls, that they were Catholics because they were found in Jordan. At that time, this is before uh, this is 48. This is a very uh, interesting time for Israel between 48 and 67 where they gained control of Israel and eventually Jerusalem. Uh, it was illegal because of where they were found in the Jordanian desert, Arab controlled, that it, they, they, it was absolutely illegal for any Jew to look at the scrolls. And so I guess the next best thing they thought were Catholics to look at them. And so that would explain to some extent why some of the guys weren't Hebrew scholars. But, you know, at the same time, uh, there is no logical explanation for the choosing of John Strugnell. Uh, if you look at it, it appears that his professor, and this is a 24-year-old kid who just, I mean, I think it even says, like, it doesn't even really say, it just had he had an interest in Oriental languages or something. I mean, he couldn't read. It always is quick to say that he learned rather quickly. And and you can see by reading Struggle's bio that, I mean, he made a career out of the uh, of this scrolls. I mean, he was chosen from for no apparent reason when he was 24, spent the rest of the 40 years, eventually became the, the new head of the team. Never published, I think he published like one thing, and it now has like a really, you know, a cushy job of uh, at, at Harvard. I mean, it's, it's it, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, he got, he finally did get kicked off because, uh, of the, as being head, uh, it's really fishy stories. But basically, he made some uh, slanderish remarks about Jews in in a in a interview on a national interview on some publication, and so they kicked him off. Eventually, that was like in the in ni in the nineties, I think. And and same th the same thing with John Allegro. I mean, he wasn't any by any means a, a, a Hebrew scholar or anybody that would you know. If you're going to choose five guys as an international team, whether they be Catholics or not, if you can't find any Jews, I'm sure there's somebody else in the world that 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 may be 
I know better qualified than than most of these guys. But um, what is interesting is that you can't find out why necessarily they were chosen. John Allegro is an interesting one because if you look at his history, it's a, it's really kind of silent about why he was uh, chosen. Because, but but you can tell through uh, some audio that's available with him that he was mostly an anti-Christian orator. That is, he was a very clever and very outspoken against the church, and he definitely had his own opinions formed, and he has some very interesting quotes about what he was going to do to the church and all kinds of things like that. And again, before you think I'm some kind of defender of this situation, um, you know, I... uh, I I am and I am with you that the Catholic, I'm not trying to defend the Catholic Church or that they would do anything nefarious. I mean, I'm all about that, and but I'm just saying we should need to take this from a different perspective because I'm not I'm not sure. First of all, that the Catholic Church would do what's in the best interest of Christianity in the first place, and might even do the exact opposite of what is the best interest of Christianity. And until we can get that around our heads, this might be a little bit uh, confusing. But anyway, let's just follow the facts. So, before anybody had a chance to publish these scrolls, and then once they got firmly under the control of the Rockefellers, uh, a, a French scholar, his name is André Dupont Sumer, anybody that is a, a, a last name, a surname watcher will uh, raise a few eyebrows at a Dupont, who had uh, no, um, he was not one of the, the guys with um, access to the scrolls, but he basically proposed an idea that um, became the uh, the prevailing conspiracy theory. And this was 1950, a year after they were uh, were produced. So this is this is uh, some pretty quick translations from from a guy uh, who was the first to put out any kind of anything about them. And he says that they were uh, that the Dead Sea manuscripts uh, were. Uh, that he he made the connection between this guy that's mentioned throughout the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the teacher of righteousness, and said that uh, basically the connections between Jesus and that that the teacher of righteousness was crucified, and that all these uh, parallels that were later found to be like absolutely not true, but it didn't matter. I mean, this is very very early in the thing. So this Dupont first puts out this theory that later uh, led a guy named Edmund uh, Wilson, I think is his last name and he was the guy who said that there was the first guy to produce produce that there was a christian conspiracy or a catholic conspiracy to cover up because of the obvious connections between the uh essene teacher of righteousness and jesus and all these other weird similarities that that don't happen and i can get to that here in a little bit but but and right now i guess we should just go with what is said so first things first a dupont comes out and says this this idea next is um uh you know this guy's getting the rockefeller scrollery and they get to hunting around uh some people are and then in 1955 that's when edmund wilson it is his last name publishes an article in the new yorker uh arguing dupont sumer's observation and the parallels between the figure of the teacher of righteousness and jesus indicated that the christian ideas were borrowed from the scrolls okay so he puts out the that bin laden has put out a videotape is right here and then allegro uh uh, he does something very, very interesting, and John Allegro is a very, very interesting guy. Um, he is the product of I, a lot of people say, "quote John Allegro" when they try to prove their uh, points about 
Christianity being a myth. It almost invariably comes directly from the mouth of John Allegro with no evidence. And uh, I'm challenging you to to look that up, and I'm going to try to give you a few reasons why this is absolutely uncontestably true. Uh, And John Allegro, who later wrote the book uh, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, which I know a lot of people use as a uh, some kind of, um, you know, vindication for all kinds of things. But and while we're here, I want to mention a few things about that book, uh, Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Uh, It basically is showing all the symbolism of uh, the uh, of, you know, ancient shamans and also the Catholic Church and their use of the 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 images of mushrooms and all this stuff about mushrooms and tries to uh, merge that with Christianity and say that was the origins of Christianity and, uh, you know, never really stopping to think that uh, they're they're pointing to rituals of the Catholic Church and saying, look, there you go, it's the origins of Christianity, when any thinking, logical individual could obviously see that um, any symbolism of the Catholic Church does not equal Christianity. I mean, when when you go to the Vatican and kiss St. Peter's toe, you're kissing a statue of Jupiter, but it doesn't mean that Peter was Jupiter, you know? It means that the Catholic Church tricked those people kissing that toe to kiss the toe of Jupiter, not that anything to do with Peter, you know? I, see what I'm saying? I mean, the Catholic Church can have pictures of mushrooms in their windows, or another church can have a picture of a mushroom in the window, but they fail to realize that if you can establish that the Vatican or or, or any other kind of entity like that is actually pagan in origin and are actively involved in taking one thing and trying to make it another thing, that is trying to take the, Christian, the Christians who they were killing and then turn their religion into the Roman religion, which was the pantheistic gods, if you can establish that that's what's happening there, then it means little to nothing to show that that entity worships a plant that opens dimensional doors. You see where I'm going with that? You can't you can't draw any arguments about the origins of Christianity by pointing to the rituals of the Catholic Church. Do do you see that connection? I think it's very very important to make that connection or uh, because I mean you can just be led down all kinds of deceptive doors if you if you fail to see the differences there. But anyway, Allegro goes on to make try to make the connection rather that 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 um Jesus was simply symbolism for uh, this psychedelic mushroom, and and basically that without giving, I mean, you know, it obviously sounds a little crazy, but his reasoning is about as as reasoning like that, showing the that the using like December twenty fifth and the origins of the Christmas tree and and you know things that have nothing to do with Christianity, you know, at all. Uh, except for what we've been told nowadays it has, but it you know it absolutely is not. Anyway, so his arguments are, are silly. They're really not worth the time as far as that book, but I did want to mention that, and if you want to talk further about mushrooms, email me at chris at conspiracyclothes.com, and uh, we'll discuss it. Also, I mean, you know, trying to make Jesus a mushroom is really hard to do when you have 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that sound nothing, nothing like caps and stems. Anyway, let's move on. Let me just kind of just say what happened. Okay, so Allegro then uh, publishes, well, actually in a BBC broadcast, uh, Allegro announces that he has found evidence that the Qumran sect worship a crucified Messiah and suggests that Christians borrowed the story. 
Okay, that now this is in '56. Okay, this is going to be another 45 years before anybody gets a chance to check check his facts. So the only people that we have to check his facts are uh, his colleagues, all of which, on upon hearing that Allegro say this, write a, a letter to the London Times challenging Allegro. And Allegro uh, then immediately retracts his claims and admits that they were based on his interpretations rather than on text. Okay, so that is the exact equivalent of, um, uh, you know, the CNN retracting their saying that the Bin Laden tape was real the next day. It doesn't matter because he just told everybody in the world uh, that that the that the uh, Essenes uh, worshipped a crucified Messiah and suggest that the Christians borrow the story. And uh, and of course, the argument and it always has been the argument on this is that. Well, there's a cover-up. They were all Catholics. John Allegro was the renegade atheist, and he was just trying to tell us the truth. But here we have him, if he is trying to tell the truth, how come he retracts it and says, oh, yeah, they were just based on uh, my interpretation, not on the text? You know, why didn't he just say, it's there, why don't you read it? And we find out later why he didn't say that, because it's it's not even, you can't even prove the teacher of righteousness was martyred, let alone crucified. I mean, it said the words are gathered in, which doesn't even suggest anything but but over and over and over again you'll hear in these interviews that allegro does about like laughing like like everybody knows that the teacher of righteousness is crucified and they worship him as messiah which it's again like all these guys but again they were those guys that retracted it they were catholics they were trying to cover up for the church so they had to write that letter to the times i mean don't you see allegro was right the whole time he was a renegade but i don't have any facts it's you know going on what allegro said but this pattern happens every time Allegro speaks. Every single time he makes a claim, everybody, uh, everybody calls him out, and then he retracts it. He has he never gets anything to stick, like you know, with any kind of factual basis. And and which we just kind of go through this and just to see what you think too. Okay, so that was in '56. Um, DeVox team scholars reconstruction photographing at 56 is when DeVox, the leader of the team, actually has completes the re, for, uh, photographing of the fragments and the skulls, and uh, that's when uh, I think some of the uh, pictures were that were later produced that that kind of blew the top of what they really said and everything. Eventually, um, so around this time, I think is where the the Jewish scholars that had the scrolls in their possession published what they had, and that was basically what we now know that validates, you know, the um, not just the Jewish thing, but the Christian Christian you know thing and the and the integrity of the text and everything. But in their defense, I mean, they did have more complete scrolls. I mean, they had the Isaiah scroll they had, and they were of books that we, they already had, and some different commentaries that already had copies of. So I mean, they had a lot easier of job. So. And before uh, you can have you can have the Jewish conspiracy thing pop up there. Remember that they these guys did everything they could. These are the original ones before Rockefeller knew or could control this thing. These are the scrolls that got out beforehand. This was th- th- these were were published because uh, not by without uh, uh, Rockefeller's. I mean, you know, not without a fight from the Rockefeller camp. You know, they really didn't want the Jewish people even have these scrolls. So to say that there's a Jewish conspiracy and they were just publishing that is really not looking at this straight. Okay, here, uh, and then DeVox releases a, uh, a review on Allegro's copper scroll book, attacking it as in precise and dishonest. 
And again, that could be part of a Catholic conspiracy. I mean, he was head of the head of the team, uh, DeVox was, so maybe he was, you know, had orders from the Vatican to uh, to uh, condemn Allegro's work. I mean, it certainly fuels the conspiracy theorists uh, that w- that he gets getting attacked for being dishonest and imprecise. But that doesn't work anymore, you know, now that we can actually read whether or not it was imprecise and dishonest. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that can read, uh, you know, Hebrew that aren't uh, controlled by the Vatican now. So these arguments nowadays are not as mysterious anymore. So if so, we can tell if it is, and we have, and I'll get to that. Um, let's see here. Uh, then... Geza Vermes of Oxford also becomes a one of the uh, the helpers of of showing the the connections between the Essene sect and Christianity, and he's a very very interesting person to check out. Uh, Giza G E Z A Vermes at Oxford. Uh, let's see here. Um, there's some interesting names here. Okay, and again, now Allegro just seems to be really. I mean. It, all this time, he's funded by by Rockefeller. When he signed, we, his paychecks are signed by a Rockefeller. Uh, you know, for the most part, I mean, he's working in the Rockefeller Museum. I mean, you can't deny that Allegro was totally funded most of his life, or until the funding drew, until uh, Rockefeller died. I'm gonna get to that particular Rockefeller here in a second too. But again, uh, Allegro uh, publishes the untold story of the Dead Sea Scrolls in Harper's Magazine, accusing Devok's team of deliberately avoiding releasing scrolls because of the content adverse to Chris- Christian teaching. And Driver and other eminent OT scholars signed the letter in the. Un- and the London Times criticizing Allegro's charges again. So immediately he gets criticized with it. So uh, isn't it possible that this guy who is definitely on the pay of the Rockefellers, who was an adamant atheist before he even got the job, uh, was intended to do this? I mean, what what Allegro is definitely good at is oration. He's kind of got the Michael Tessarian uh, real... Uh, smooth talker and is able to kind of gloss over something real quick and say it like it's just so obvious that there's no reason to go look it up. I mean, everybody knows, so don't go look that up. But, 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 and it's really obvious when you start r- listening to uh, some of the stuff Allegro says, and that's why he has such a cult following, if you will. Uh, okay, so everybody accuses it again every time Allegro speaks, somebody accuses him of it, and it just fuels the fire. Like, look, they don't want. Our hero Allegro, who only wants—he's just a scholar. He just wants to be scholarly. And uh, again, you uh, just going back to like when you listen. Uh, if you go to John Allegro has a, w- a website. Obviously, he's long dead now, but uh, he has. There's some audio on it, some stuff from the BBC, and real nicely produced stuff from the BBC and CBS, and you know his own little thing there. And uh, you can tell there's just funding behind it but if you listen to him now he's telling regaling a story about how you know let's we've all discovered that jesus is a myth and christianity is a myth so let's move on to some interesting topics but in the course of all this stuff i mean his only again his only credibility is that he was a dead sea scroll scholar so it's all basis basis around that fact his his credibility of oh my gosh you were choosing one of the five that got to the only people that got to see the dead sea scrolls i mean and keep in mind this made everybody these five guys absolutely totally famous absolutely beyond fame at at one point uh legro would uh because you know they were the only guys in the world like what does the dead sea scrolls say johnny i mean we what what do they say i mean you have access to it so he's like but anyway my point was that in these things and in his whole contention really centers around the fact that the teacher of righteousness was crucified as a martyr and that all these parallels between him and Jesus. 
And you have to look at that specifically, and I'll put some links in the show notes section to some commentaries about it uh, after the fact and during the fact uh, that are really interesting to look at to see are they the same or what are the major differences because they're, I mean, it, again, I mean, if you, the difference, how he comes to the conclusion that they were crucified, or he was crucified, the teacher of righteousness that is, is uh, very, very uh, uh, silly. And the fact that he, the only, as I said, the only gather that he can that he was killed was the term gathered in, which uh, doesn't even suggest martyrdom. And uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully uh, get to some of that here in a second. So anyway, on we go. And uh, let's see. And now the Six-Day War happens, okay? And so Israel defeats the Arabs in the Six-Day War and occupies Palestine to the Jordan, gaining control of the uh, uh, Qumran, uh, at the Rockefeller Archaeological Museum, and all the scrolls, except for the Copper Scroll, and some fragments from Cave 1 that had been sent to uh, another part of Jordan. So at this point, the Jewish scholars in 1967 gain legal control over the scrolls. Okay, but in just as to hear the the general say it, and he's got an interview on this too. I, I think this is from the BBC interview where he said, um, "Well, you know, we all wanted to see what the scrolls, but they, you know, just as a show, a gesture of, uh, you know, whatever uh, kindness, they allowed them to to just maintain the six guys they had, even though they've had them for some twenty years and didn't let the public see anything." Um, even though they found out later that they could have done it in 1953 because they had this entire concordance published. But uh, they said, you guys can keep doing what you're doing the way you're doing it. You know, we're not going to get in there and, and mess you guys all up. And so at that point, it, it was another 16 years before the Jewish people and, and, uh, stepped in and said, OK, you know, we're going to take over now because they didn't publish anything in the in the subsequent 16 years. And the only reason that they took over at that point was because the new head, John Strugnell, who was the other Oxford boy that was recruited to do this as a lifelong entity and now is at Harvard, uh, who never published anything, never apparently could read the scrolls that well, from my reading of it, as uh, Allegro was often quoted as saying, from my reading of it. But um, so, and the only reason they, they even stepped in at that point was because he uh, Strugnell made drunken statements to the to the newspapers about how he hated uh, Jewish people from a Christian perspective and that they were hard to convert again, propagating this idea that this Christian conspiracy is covering up the scrolls. Again, my contention is that was the point the whole time. Let me before I get into too much of this, just just lay out what what I think is a probable thing that happened here. Um, again, this was from the beginning when when something like this. Uh, came out. No, now the Catholic Church had no reason to. Let's just say, from looking at it from the perspective of the Catholic Church, did all this to cover it up because they were afraid it was going to discredit Christianity. Um, let's just say that they did that, and how would they know that they was going to discredit Christianity, and therefore they had to, you know, swallow up all the scrolls and keep them from everybody for for a certain time. That. that that doesn't really uh, logically follow, and uh, even the the adamant people that are trying to prove it uh, don't really see that happening because it's just too impossibly far fetched. And I'm really giving them the benefit of the doubt. I think that the Rockefellers and the Vatican are capable of a lot of really huge, super intricate conspiracies. But um, anyway. What does logically follow is if, I mean, I don't know if you guys are out there how much you know about the Rockefeller in general or whatever, but, you know, they're not Christians by any means, and in fact they could be considered Satanists by the very letter of the of the law, 
And uh, and I would contend that as what they could do is if seeing an opportunity like this and to swallow up all the scrolls and to put their own specific people in there to basically put out the bin Laden tapes, you know, bin Laden has put out a new tape and it says this and everybody's like, oh, no, bin Laden is going to get us without any evidence as long as they could keep it for, you know, a good 50 years and they only have their people put out this thing uh, and it could look like a Catholic conspiracy the whole time. I mean, it was set up to do that. And uh, if you don't think that this could be nefarious, and again, I mean, now we have the benefit of actually seeing this without the Rockefeller glasses on because we have the absolute proof of what they said versus, and we don't have to listen to what people say they say anymore. So we can double check that stuff now, but but what's interesting is, is looking at what they said and why they said it. Let's look at this particular Rockefeller because I think that looking into uh, this guy is absolutely stunning of his uh, to say this guy is is mr new world order john d rockefeller jr okay this is our man this is our, this is the funder of the dead sea scrolls this guy is the same guy that literally started the council on foreign relations gave him a new home and everything built the built the house for him, got it all st started from the League of Nations and everything else. He had that up and running, and the last thing that he did was, uh, well, he, the deal was brokered through his son, but he had everything to do with that, was giving them the, the United Nations the land in New York and getting them here and getting the headquarters all set up and nice and the carpet laid out and everything just funded and bankrolled. So this this same guy is, and, and then he, you know, he's also the guy that funded uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, with Planned Parenthood, and you know, did so much for eugenics, and really, uh, just funded everything that was going to later f contribute to thinning out the population for the good of of the elites and and everything else. And and just in case that's not New World Order enough for you, as the the uh, the originator of those things, seemingly, probably not. But he, uh, obviously, some sort of arranged marriage with uh, the daughter of Nelson uh, Aldrich. Nel Nelson Aldrich was uh, an American politician, uh, kind of, he was the head of, uh, uh, he was a senator from Rhode Island, but he also was like the head of the Republican Party and considered, uh, they called him like the general manager of America at the time. But he was the guy who made it possible through his uh, shilling in the government to bring about the national income tax and the Federal Reserve System. And uh, he was the guy that convinced Woodrow Wilson to sign on the dotted line and everything else. So here we have, when the one guy of John D. Rockefeller Jr., everything that has to do with the New World Order. So you have to, at some point, convince me that this guy, Senior New World Order, uh, is a part of covering up for for Christianity. That is, that he is a Christian and he doesn't want anything to come out about the uh, the uh, Catholic Church. So he must cover it up. Now you can make the argument that he was that that, that that really he was controlled by the Catholic Church by the Vatican. Well, that's fine. You know, we can make that argument too. But then you have to prove to me that the Catholic Church is actually concerned about cover, uh, about the integrity of actual Christianity, which I've seen no evidence for ever. You know, they are they've always done the exact opposite of what the Bible says, and we're never in, in never concerned by my reading of it that um, 
about the integrity of it. I mean, the Catholic Church is going to be the ones that are going to tell you that uh, all religions are the same and we should all just get along and, and, and worship uh, the aliens and the, and the New World Order and everything else. I mean, we can't, you know, I mean, if there's a conspiracy with the Catholic Church, so be it. But it's not for the good of Christianity. You see what I'm saying? But But it's a deceptive thing. Now that they can say, oh, well, look at this and look at that. Um, anyway, let's move on to something else. First of all, let's uh, talk about the Essenes themselves. There are a lot of different theories about what uh, was going on, especially during that time when uh, where they were trying to make a lot of these square pegs fit, fit into round holes. They were trying to make the Essenes, or at least Allegro was trying to make the Essenes be the uh, predecessors to Jesus because he was trying to make the Essenes be Christianity and that this teacher of righteousness was um, the actual historical version of Jesus who later this uh, fertility mushroom cult just got real high and made up the actual story that's in the Bible. But they based it on the teacher of righteousness. That's essentially what he says. Um, and uh, it would be, it would you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a hell of a thing to say, but I mean, it, it really needs some so he needs the Essenes to be a certain kind of people in order to do that. He needs a lot of things to happen in order to do that. Uh, let me read a few different things. Um, first of all, let me continue with the Essenes thing. I mean, we we now get a clear picture of what they were. It's it's still a little unclear. I mean, they never really called themselves Essenes or anything. Uh, there is obviously when they when the the texts that speak of this teacher of righteousness, you can tell that they it's definitely a a a cult kind of thing. Whether they definitely were a uh, very extreme set of Jews, they kind of got away from society, if you will, and they they didn't think much of the establishment at the time. They thought they weren't being as strict enough on the on the law and all kinds of things, and. Um, so that you know, just in the fact that they were a sect, you know, is is basically what this comes from. But I'll show you what I mean. Anyway, it does it does actually give a really clear picture of what early Jewish life was around the time of Jesus. I mean, this is about uh, I think it's like eighty years or something like that before the time of Jesus. So it gives a very interesting and historical account. The only kind of historic historical account of anything like this of what that time period was like it's 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 uh it's invaluable for that historical record that it provides um so we need to look at the actual differences between this teacher of righteousness and jesus in order to make any kind of uh logical idea about it and of course i'm going to read something here and of course it could be a part of a catholic uh cover-up uh so just take that with a grain of salt as i read it uh, they're talking about uh, the different things here. Now, this uh, was this DuPont guy say DuPont Sumer. This is this is basically this is going to try to answer the specific questions raised by the three, the big three, the DuPont Sumer, John Allegro, and then later the accusation of Edmund Wilson. There's three guys, and later a Barbara Thiering who carries it over. It's really interesting to check out her too. But uh, let's so so DuPont says. Quote, the Galilean teacher, as he is presented to us in the New Testament writings, appears in many respects as an astonishing reincarnation of the teacher in righteousness. And as it says here, this is a tremendous statement, but what are the facts? It goes on to talk a little bit about what Jesus' life was like. I'll assume that we have a fairly good idea about that. And um, these are the astounding things that were claimed to Jesus and taught about him and his followers. This is the Galilean teacher as he is presented to us in the New Testament. 
Is he an astonishing reincarnation of the teacher of righteousness? Uh, just how many of these features do we find in the Qumran pictures of that individual? We see only this, that he was a teacher who established a sect and that he was that the government disapproved of him. And uh, this much can be found in history of almost every man who has ever founded a sect. <laughs> well, you know, really that sounds uh, silly just to put it like that, but it really is. I mean, that it it's intriguing and enticing to say, ooh, a guy called the Teacher of Righteousness 80 years before Jesus founded a sect, and he the, the government uh, persecuted him. And, you know, that's all. I mean, they wasn't, they don't have nothing that he was killed, nothing. I mean, that's it. But that's just enticing enough to be like, hmm, hmm, that's what we need in order to do something with it. And I feel that they would have done something else if that wasn't it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they would have found something else. But anyhow, uh, so let's look at this. In all the Qumran material that has yet been discovered and published, there is nowhere any statement that the teacher of righteousness was God or that he claimed to be God or that anyone else ever thought him to be God. There is no statement that he was born in any different way than any other mortals. There is no reference. And these are all things that were later said that, that he did, that the teacher of righteousness did with no proof. Uh, there is no reference to him having been tempted by the devil. It is true that he, like many others, were interested in spreading his views, but... Whether he went about preaching, as Jesus did, it is not known. He made his followers take very strict uh, aesthetic vows. Or is that what that word is? Aesthetic vows. Uh, quite contrary to that, it's A-S-C-E-T-I-C. I don't know what that... Uh, uh, vows quite contrary to all that we find in the life of Jesus or in the attitude of the early church. There is no statement in the Qumran literature that he ever performed miracles of healing and certainly no suggestion that he ever raised anyone from the dead. There is no evidence that he ever thought himself to be the Messiah. The Qumran sect seems to have expected that ultimately two messiahs would come, a priestly messiah and a kingly messiah, but there is no proof that it expected uh, that either of them would be the same person as the teacher of righteousness. There is no evidence that the teacher of righteousness ever said that he would return to the earth on the clouds of heaven. There's no evidence that the teacher of righteousness ever said that said or anybody ever thought that that there would be any kind of special significance to his death. There is no real evidence that the teacher of righteousness was crucified. In fact, it is not even stated that he was even put to death in any of the material that has come to light thus far. There is no evidence that the teacher of righteousness was raised from the dead or that anybody ever thought he had been raised from the dead. Though there is reason to think that he may have been dead many years when the last of the scrolls was written, the teacher of righteousness was raised from the dead. Uh, that the teacher of righteousness was raised for the dead, or that anybody ever thought he had been raised from the dead. Uh, I just read that, didn't I? Uh, there is no evidence that the Qumran uh, people ever thought that the teacher of righteousness could do something that would save an individual. Their only hope lay in following his teaching. Their faith was in what he had said, not, as in the case of Christianity, in him personally or anything he had done or could do. The followers of the teachers of righteousness formed a close group uh, which no one could join without years of probation and take, taking of very strict vows. This is entirely different from the procedure followed by established Christianity and as as even a superficial glance at the book of Acts will clearly show. Mr. Allegro claims that the text proved that the teacher of righteousness was crucified. However, this is purely an inference, and in the opinion of most scholars, an unjustified inference. Nowhere did the text say that he was put to death, merely that he was gathered in, a phrase that could just as well refer to the death of from natural causes. Okay, and this, this could be 
as I said before, this could be slanted. You know, this could be uh, uh, the establishment trying to, you know, uh, uh, cover up the truth. And, you know, that's a possibility. This was an older document and everything. Um, so we'll, we'll take that with a grain of salt. So, but at least it gives us an idea that we should be concerned about um, possible misinterpretations, uh, especially if you do listen to John Allegro at, at talk in these uh, old old radio interviews. It's really slick. I mean, he just he just talks. He just skips over this part. Like he talks about the crucifixion, and you know, as as his main centerpiece of all this, that it, that they worshipped a crucified Messiah, and that that's his thing that he just glosses over and and then continues to talk about his other views about Christianity and the church and mind control and the rest of it. I mean, he's an orator. He's got a point. He had that point before he even got there. You see what I'm saying? I mean, this this was just uh, you know, he was just put in a position of credibility with and and without anybody able to you know, uh to prove him wrong. But anyway, let's look at this. Um this is from another thing kind of looks at some of the uh the words. This is a much later uh, book on this by Michael Wilkins. Um, Qumran, uh, Jesus outside the New Testament. What is the evidence? Qumran communities should be uh, identified as the Essenes. In his 1952 book, The Dead Sea Scrolls, DuPont, Sumer, an ex-Catholic priest and an agnostic, claimed that the teacher of righteousness, an important early leader in the Qumran community, was an amazing anticipation of Jesus and that he was also tortured, put to death, and reappeared. Uh, you know, we've, we've been through, uh, that's just a claim here by this DuPont, that the claim was uh, made, claim was based on an idiosyncratic translation of the verb uh, hafia, uh, which means appeared, in the Habakkuk commentary 2.15. In his 1962 translation, DuPont Sumer conceded that the verb could be translated appear with no supernatural implications, but still insisted that the subject of the verb was teacher of righteousness was the teacher of righteousness. But the other scholars, um, T. H. Jaster and G. Vermes, which I don't really trust either, uh, has taken the subject of the verb to be the wicked priest, thus eliminating the support of Dupont Sumer's interpretation of the supernatural manifestation of the martyred teacher of righteousness who anticipated Jesus. Uh, now we go to Wilson, and this and now. It was the essayist Edmund Wilson in 1972 who first drew widespread attention to the scrolls by his best-selling work, The Scrolls from the Dead Sea, published in 1955 by publicizing that the scrolls Wilson felt that he had exposed the myth of the origins of Christianity, unquote, and suggested that Jesus may have been spent some childhood years with the Essenes and alleged that the New Testament scholars were uh, avoiding the study of the scrolls. Wilson based his popularization on the theories of DuPont Sumer and John Marco Allegro. So with these three guys are all the ones claim using each other's uh, just blatant outbursts on the radio or, or some commentary. They're quoting each other's outburst as evidence, you know, not evidence itself. They're like, well, there are some scholars like DuPont Summa that said, or, you know, and here uh, Wilson is basing his, his Catholic conspiracy on John Marco Allegro and DuPont Summa uh, to totally. Um, John Marco Allegro, 1988, was a he died in 1988. Was a British scholar who had the privilege of serving on the first international committee of scholars entrusted with the publication of the Dead Sea Scrolls. He had originally studied Hebrew to prepare for the Methodist ministry. 
okay, well, he did study Hebrew to prepare for the message of this ministry, but he abandoned any presentation of the... Oh, I see what he's trying to say here. Uh, but he abandoned the, any presentation of faith in the numerous books, uh, did his best to overthrow Christianity on the basis of interpretation of the Nabam commentary, which is uh, Sumer, or DuPont, DuPont Sumer. Uh... So Allegro asserts that the teacher of righteousness had been crucified, though the text does not say this at all. Allegro concluded that the scrolls demonstrated that the gospel story of Jesus was fiction based on an earlier example of the teacher of righteousness. And in a 1966 article, Harper's Magazine, Allegro claimed that he knew the secret meaning of the New Testament names, suggesting that the name Jesus meant Essene and that Peter's name uh, concealed the an Essene title. In 1970, Allegro left the University of Manchester and published a most bizarre book, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. He had come to discern the name Jesus meant semen, which which saves, and that Peter meant mushroom, thus revealing that Christianity was originally disguised fertility cult centered on the hallucinogenic mushroom. Okay, so that's where we're at. We are basing everything on these three outbursts of people. And then there is, if you really want to see the culmination of what this does, is Barbara Thiering, who uh, was born in 1930, Australian scholar with international reputation. Her academic books and journal articles have challenged Christian orthodoxy, drawing on new evidence that gives alternative answers to supernatural beliefs. Now, really look into what she does. She's a, she's a very uh, spiritual woman herself. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to try to point to that as any kind of proof. But what is easy to prove with Barbara Thiering is she is she's culminating this in a, in a modern idea. And 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 uh, she makes this wicked priest be, I think, Jesus and and the teacher of righteousness be. I don't know how this works with her, but nobody nobody suggests she's right. I mean, she is as far as scholarly uh, evidence completely discredited on like every level possible. So Barb I mean it's not my words, it's just read through read through anything about her. She's she's not credible at all. But it just goes to show you they need people to just be that are willing to just be totally freaking wrong. Like the like in Zeitgeist, this Akira S. If it wasn't for Akira S then and and uh, Gerald Massey, there would be no Zeitgeist because they would not have anybody that would put their uh their you know integrity on the line and say yes these things were true i don't have any proof and here is uh you know and she's just you know she's just writes a book saying that it's true and you know is notoriously bad about never telling anybody how she came up with it and um if you look at her credentials it just basically says she went to school it doesn't and she she studied it uh, you know in some athenian you know kind of Greek thing, I mean, and and that somehow qualifies her to make, you know, uh, interpretations that nobody, regardless of their religion, I mean, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, it doesn't matter. Nobody can find what Akira S. can, but she can't seem to source any of it. You see what I'm saying? They have to have people that don't, that are just willing to just say things. And I think that that's what we find in John Allegro, who has started, in a, you know, who still to this day, no matter if you can go and, sh and see what he was saying is wrong or not, uh, is, is constantly pointed to as evidence that it was a myth, only because he constantly talked like it was totally proven. And of course he would. I mean, you can hear him talk about um, what, he, you know, like when he made the statement that um, 
the teacher of righteousness was crucified on BBC and his colleagues all wrote a letter to the Times, a round robin of the Times. Uh, well, I mean, he just couldn't understand why he was ostracized and all this stuff. It was like, you know, but again, he was always able to fall back on that, well, they were all Catholics and it was a Catholic thing. So this was, it was against the establishment. It was him versus the establishment, which was Catholic, which was not, in my opinion, a mistake at all. I mean, this was, again, by seeing your New World Order was, was making this whole thing up, was able to use, I believe, agents like Allegro and Strugnall and, and people to control this until they couldn't anymore. And again, this is where I'm going to break from a lot of people that 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 maybe haven't. This is like taking the second red pill. Once you figure out all this conspiracy stuff, and then you have to take another one that that all the stuff that you think is 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 conspiracy is actually not a conspiracy. Like the the Jewish conspiracy, I, I've been silent about this uh, for as long as I've been doing the show, and I'm glad I have because I, I, my opinions have changed, and they probably will again, but. But this is uh, something that I think that you should know, and I, I haven't found, I found the direct opposite of a Jewish conspiracy. I've found that the people that are definitely, anti, definitely New World Order hate Jewish people, like spit when they talk about Jewish people. They can't stand them. Uh, and so it doesn't jive with the Jewish conspiracy. Now, people can say the Zionist thing all they want to and all that stuff, but I see that as like, just short-sighted it's like uh it's like an iranian pointing to all americans and saying they're exactly like they're all like bush like equating all of us with bush like we're the exact same mentality and everything with our president do you understand that's exactly what happens when you point the figure at a jewish conspiracy and anybody that's jewish you're doing the exact same short-sighted racist thing that an iranian pointing at americans would do and we all understand that governments are controlled a lot of times by people that are a part of the same system of the other controllers of the government. And that the people and the rulers are wholly separate entities. And that that's a very big step that we have to make. And so I think that that's an important part of realizing what's going on here, too. That every time you hear the word Jew or Israel, it doesn't mean that it's part of the conspiracy. Are there Jews in a part of this conspiracy? Yes. Are there Catholics? Yes. Are there every possible person in the world a part of every single group? Yes, they're in everything. But, I mean, it, it doesn't change the fact that they loathe Jewish people and they want to kill them. And that's never going to change. And, and, and as somebody that's a Christian, I can see how, I mean, you can see the you know, the hate in, in just people that hate real Christians. They don't hate just regular old Christians. But anyway, uh, let me do a summary of this because I think it's important to just kind of summarize and say what I think is going on because I've just been all over the place. First, there's a really interesting article that does a good summary on different things. I don't know if it would say what I did. It, it's a more tame version. It just kind of, uh, it's a PBS uh, this was done in what ninety eight, so it's fairly recently. But it's called the mystery and meaning of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'll again put it in the show notes section of the uh, website of this particular show, which is conspiracyclosed dot com slash nowhere to run. Um, okay, let's try to sum this up. I think that um, we all just got played, and 
that there is a major, major conspiracy theory to be really straight up with you to discredit the one thing that they're afraid of us knowing. The one thing that can stop them is the only thing that they care about. And as we wake up to this, I mean, it's like, it's like they will concede everything as long as we don't believe in Jesus. I know that sounds crazy, but you have to understand that these people literally are indwelled with what I believe are demonic entities and that they, those demonic entities follow the orders of their superiors and their superior hates Jews and Christians. And so as they allow more indwelling of this through their own wills, they eventually take on more characteristics of those entities inside of them. So as they give over to them, they become more of doing the will of that power structure inside of them. And, uh, and believe it or not, that power structure has a very clear agenda of setting up a one-world government so that they can bring one leader that can be indwelled by the guy still locked in the abyss... And once that key gets opened, they have to bring about him first. They're under orders to build this infrastructure so that they can have one dude. And it just, doesn't anybody see, think that that's a super, super coincidence that this whole New World Order structure is building that exact same structure? They have totally fooled us with this uh, truth movement, for the most part. You would think that this truth movement is exactly against the new world order but in many respects it's all going according to plan now i've thought about this for a long time and i can't really see how something like 9-11 benefits them or rather that the conspiracy theories about 9-11 benefit them obviously 9-11 benefited them uh, because it essentially will ultimately generate mistrust to the government which will keep us from uh, taking their vaccines and drinking their water and eating their genetically modified food and believing their dogmas and everything that they want us to do. But you have to be aware of their religious agenda. And it's not hard to find out. It's not like you can convince anybody that they're trying to make you be a Christian anymore. You know, because at least if you can establish that they are the ones in control of the school systems, uh, both uh, higher education and lower education and everything involved in that, and they're the ones in charge of, of the media, um, you know, of every type. So, you know, and, and they're not, they're definitely not trying to make people be a Christian. They're doing the exact opposite. They're dying to get you to do different things to like rituals and tarot cards and the rest of it and Harry Potter and all that stuff because they're not. I mean, unless you think that the Catholic church and Catholic schools are really trying to make you be a Christian, you know, or, or that the church structure is trying to make you, I mean, and churches are a little harder to, to, to bad mouth because there's some good ones out there, but there are a lot of infiltrated ones as well. But, the going and prevailing conspiracy theory is that Christianity is there to control the masses. But there is a definition problem with the term Christianity, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, except that it can be found by your own reading of the Bible. You don't have to listen to people about this. It, the more you listen to people, and the less you 
just trust your own instincts as you try to read it for yourself, the better off you're going to be. And, and don't believe me. Don't believe anything I say. I mean, I take a page from Chuck Missler and say, Acts 17.11, you know, I mean, search the scriptures daily to prove whether those things be so, but receive it with all readiness of heart. I mean, it's not that you shouldn't listen to people. It's that you should check them out, especially that we know that they have a religious agenda and that they are sacrificing things to people and, uh, you know, doing nefarious ritualized magic and that can only suggest that they are at the very least not christians and i know that you have been told that well they just create well of course not christians they just created christianity (sighs) i mean let's see it let's see the evidence let's see how jesus helps them i know the catholic church helps them i understand that we i'm with you there but jesus does not help them his philosophy is anti-New World Order to the extreme, okay? And and the, the church is pro-New World Order to the extreme. Do you see the dichotomy, how, how it's easy for us to get confused and to believe false teachers when they make those connections without, you know, doing that for us? Uh, anyway, I, I really just went off there, didn't really get into a uh, summary of the scrolls, but which is what this was all about. So, whoops, I don't know. Let's see if I can pick up where I left off, which was basically that um, I I know I missed a whole bunch of cool stuff about names and dates and places, and I really encourage you to go to the show notes and look at the names and dates and places. Follow the leads. Look at everybody. I really want to know why. Okay, here's an interesting uh, side note. John Strugnell, the kid who later became... uh, you know, he, he later became head of the scrolls and everything. And eventually, right around the time when all the heat started coming on and the whole public started getting mad at this power structure and demanding that the scrolls be released. Um, this was probably early 90s, uh, late 80s. And finally, the, the uh, they could no longer keep them for themselves. The other people started getting advanced of it. There's a really interesting story about the concordance and how that got um, into the hands of uh, people that can be used in this just real big secrecy around all this stuff. And Strugnell uh, then shows his anti-Semitic side, which suggests to me, or what I just said to you, uh, that he probably was chosen at such a young age for no other reason except that he was willing to play ball and that he was family, if you will. Because... Um, just a deep-rooted anti-Semitism is always a red flag to me. Uh, same thing with Tessarian. I mean, he always says like uh, some kind of uh, you know caveat every time he talks about the Jews. Like before he gets to talking about the Jews, he's like, and it doesn't go for all Jewish people or anything. But and then just spits how much he the hate is very prevalent there. And I will contend that the, that that's a red flag. Not for everybody. Everybody that hates Jewish people aren't. Illuminati, but all Illuminati hate Jewish people. Okay, that's uh, because in order to be a part of a religious system like that, you have to have an indwell, indwelling of uh, dark entities, in my opinion. And those dark entities are under orders, if you will, to hate Jewish people. So uh, I know, look, I know that, you know, on one hand, I'm giving good information, but on the other, I'm, I'm obviously uh, rooting for one side of this. So, you know, just take me what I'm worth. I mean, I'm not really 
you know, I'm worth much. I mean, this is just something that hopefully you guys can springboard off of. And and I want to uh, encourage you to do that. And I also encourage people to start your own podcast. It's so easy to do. Go to podomatic.com, sign up. It's free until you get like 500 megabytes of data on there. And then they just charge you a little bit. It's comparable to server space. It's so easy. You don't have to know anything about anything. And uh, just, just start doing it. Just, I mean, just start talking about, the news talk, talking about anything that you 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 know who I'm talking to out there there's somebody it's like yeah I need to do that I know I should that's you do it get on the computer today just sign up for Podomatic or or or, or whatever it is and uh, you know start figuring out it'll walk you through it and get on iTunes it it makes that really easy and if you think that you want to contact uh, contact uh, Frank Lordy at SalvationRevelation.com I know he's putting together some stuff there and uh, you know if and start getting this kind of thing uh, going because, again, there needs to be more uh, people doing this uh, from this perspective. It just we need it quick and too. So, so there's an urgency there as well. Okay, uh, that should be it as a shorter show. Uh, well, I don't know, it's not that short, but anyway, uh, thanks for everything. You can support this show by uh, your prayers. So I encourage you to pray for me, anything you can think of, but certainly to keep from giving out uh, bad information, misinformation, or whatever, because this whole system is awash in, in it. So it's hard to sift through it. So uh, I appreciate that. You can also support Revere Radio by going to revereradio.info and supporting them uh, there. You can go to uh, my new website, which is conspiracyclosed.com slash nowhere to run. And uh, you can also go to the various uh, podcast sites, and you can always review the show notes from everything that we talk about here. Thanks to everybody uh, for your for your listening, and uh, I guess that's it. Remember, we are in the last days, so we should start acting like it. Power to the people, and all glory to God. Later.